Joining us today is Dr. Jessica McLeese. Her story is an interesting one full of twists and turns that started way back when and is continuing even today. We will talk a bit about her experience with Bible College, her road to a doctoral program in clinical psychology, opening her own private practice as a sex therapist, and transitioning to a stepping away phase, at least for now. Dr. McLeese, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Daniel. I'm excited to be here. Good, me too. I'm excited for you to be here too. <laughs> I was So I've been starting these out with, um, there are so many roads that lead to clinical psychology. And um, can you tell us your own personal background on uh, what got you interested in clinical psychology or psychology in general, and maybe your initial schooling in that area? Sure. So that's kind of a funny story. I've known, you know, I've known a lot of people who kind of just knew this is what they wanted to do all their lives. Um, in fact, I remember when I first got into my doctorate program, all the people that were saying that, like, I've known I wanted to do this all my life. And then when it my, came my turn, I was like, um, like I kind of just fell into this by accident. Oh. <laughs> and so I was actually going to buy Bible college to become a youth pastor, or at least I knew that's what I wanted to learn was youth ministry. Yeah. And one of the requirements was that I had to take um, counseling adolescence and no, I had to take intro to counseling and the psychology of adolescence, um, something along those lines. It's been a long time. So yeah. <laughs> I had to take those two classes. And then at the same time, I was actually in an elective called um, psychology of the self and the Christian faith, I believe it was. It was a class about identity, really. Um, and so I took all of those at the same time. And for mm. the first time ever, I thought, this is actually really easy. Like, I get it. And it makes sense. And I'd never had that experience in college before um, mm. real, or in <laughs> or in high school, actually, that was a struggle. So I, I kind of just learned like, this seems to be my niche. I get this. It makes sense. It's really easy to understand. Mm -hmm. To me, it was the first time I didn't have to study for hours because everything I was hearing, it was just like, oh yeah, I get that. Of course it makes sense. I could mm -hmm. connect all the dots. And so that's what actually got me into psychology. Um, and even funnier than that is I started out doing counseling because I was in, you know, these counseling classes. Uh -huh. And then the way the semester was laid out, it was going to take me an extra semester to graduate if I waited for my counseling requirements. But the psychology classes just happened to be offered in such a format that I was able to graduate sooner. And that's why I went into <laughs> psychology. So I was like, I don't want to be in college forever. So this is what I'll do instead. Um, so that's kind of my journey of starting, which I'm, I'm sure is probably a little bit abnormal for most people in the field. Yeah, yeah. Um, a few things. So Going to Bible college, a lot of my, I grew up in kind of uh, Southern Ohio, Bible Belt. And if you go to Bible college, you either go to, let's see, there's one in Missouri, the name's escaping me, or you go to Liberty, right? Uh -huh. And so um, when it comes to that decision, uh, you, you sound like you said that you wanted to go kind of for, to be a youth pastor or somewhere along that vein. Um, was that like, for you, did it feel like a calling or did it feel like um, this is in the right direction? And does that make like so? Yeah, so I, I get it with the whole Bible Belt thing. So uh -huh. <laughs> I grew up, um, I was actually raised in the Assemblies of God denomination. And okay. I had done some um, like kind of youth ministry volunteer work. I had done volunteer work with the children's ministry. Hmm. Uh, but my dad was a pastor. And so it was just, it, it was part of that heritage he expected for all of us kids that yeah. we were going to be in the ministry. Um, it was always his hope and his goal and his dream. And he talked about it frequently. And so I just assumed like I need to do something kind of ministry oriented. And so I went to the one Bible college that was my choice <laughs> because of being in the Assemblies of God. So I actually went to Southwestern Assemblies of God University in Waxahachie, Texas, um, which is close to Dallas. And that was like the dream school for anyone who is in the AG. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was, it really, there wasn't a lot of thought put into it. It was just, that was the decision. Um, and I chose a youth ministry degree because I literally did not know what to do. Um, I had tried, I had tried some business classes in school and, and I found them a little bit boring, um, probably because the first couple of classes were about investments and stocks. And uh -huh. I, I just didn't find that interesting at all. Uh, maybe a lot of people don't. <laughs> and so uh, I thought, well, maybe this isn't for me. And I switched around a few times trying to find 
an elective that made sense mm -hmm. and just kind of fell back on, well, I'm supposed to be doing ministry. This is who I am. So I guess I'll try the whole youth ministry thing because like, it's kind of fun to hang out with teenagers and do like trips and field trips and things like this. And so I just thought this must be what I'm going to do. Um, I don't know that I ever thought it was a calling, but it felt kind of like a path that had already been laid out for me that I needed to follow. Um, yeah. And so <laughs> this is the path, walk you therefore in it. I always joke. <laughs> and so I just felt I had to, and uh -huh. that's really what started my journey. Yeah. And that, uh, with that being what started your journey, it makes more sense that it was kind of an easier transition into something that's still kind of service related, um, but maybe outside of the church, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's actually really funny because I, like to me, as I started getting that path of wanting to do psychology and therapy, um, to me, it actually never felt different than ministry in itself, mm. because you're yeah. working with the whole person. Um, so maybe you're not, you know, sharing the gospel and trying to get people to commit to Christ, but you are working with the whole person and you're really, you're, you're kind of heart of the gospel when you're doing therapy, right? Mm. You're looking yeah. to help the oppressed and the poor and the disenfranchised. And to mm. me, that was all very heart of God. Um, mm. But that wasn't what a lot of the people in my church thought when I, <laughs> <laughs> when I went to pursue a psychology degree. Um, and yeah. I definitely got told that um, that I, I really shouldn't be looking to do that because it was too worldly. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just interesting the way that people see the field of psychology. But I mean, to me, yeah, absolutely. It was still serving and serving um, in a way that I felt was an even greater impact than I'd ever been able to see before. Mm, good. Yeah. And so what brought you from, you got your undergraduates in psychology and then you just knew, okay, I can't really do much with a bachelor's in psychology, so I need to go like and clinical psychology. Uh, what program did you enter? Yeah, that's that's actually a funny story too. So I was done with school at that point with nothing okay. but a bachelor's. And um, as you know, you can't do anything in the field <laughs> of psychology with only a bachelor's. Um, but I was okay with that. I felt like I'd gone to school. Um, I had enough education where I think I was a little bit more employable, and so I actually had more opportunities. Okay. Definitely not opportunities in psychology, though. Um, yeah. So I worked um, a job for a while as a payroll assistant. So I was mm. I was literally going in. It was a trucking company. I made pretty okay income, and I was doing payroll and admin work, and I was pretty good at like keeping people calm. Um, you know, if checks weren't right, so it just it went well for me, and that's what I that's what I was doing. And then I went to visit my undergrad back at Southwestern, and I can't even remember why, but I ran into one of my professors, and he's like, "Hey, what are you doing now?" And I told him, "Oh, I'm doing payroll," and he looked really shocked and said, <laughs> "Why? Why did you come to school and you're doing payroll now?" He's like, "You're one of the ones that's supposed to go all the way." And so we ended up having a conversation for a while and he convinced me that I should be getting a doctorate degree and that I had what it took and that I should go all the way with this. Um, so I got a few recommendations from him, schools that he would refer me to. Um, he asked me specifically, do you need a Christian integration? And I said, um, I know myself and I probably do if I'm going to be able to maintain that standpoint and be able to help um, Christians specifically, but even just to have that worldview. Yeah. And so he gave me three different colleges to apply or three different universities, I should say to apply for. Um, and then I got home from that time hanging out with my old professor and I was actually terminated for my employment almost oh, immediately. Wow. Um, and they, yeah, it was really sad. And they told me that they were downsizing. Not only was I the most recently hired, but I had more education than anybody in the company. And so they kind of just assumed a time is going to come when you leave us anyways. Hmm. We're just kind of helping you <laughs> with that process. Um, and so that's why I always joke. I kind of just like fell into this accidentally. Oh. It's like maybe God had a plan for me that I didn't understand and wasn't necessarily running toward, but then it just kind of came to be. Mm -hmm. And so since I got terminated, I didn't have the money to apply for several schools. And so I researched the three that he gave me. Um, and I won't name the other two because I don't guess that's important. Um, but I researched the three and I landed on Regent University. It just it felt like it was um, closer aligned to what I consider to be a good solid education. Mm -hmm. And so I landed on Regent University and applied there, asked that same professor to write me a referral letter um, or a letter of reference. And he told me I was crazy for only applying to one school, <laughs> but I didn't have the money to apply to multiple schools. So I just mm -hmm. kind of filled out the application and thought, you know, I'm going to try my best. And if this is where I'm supposed to be, I believe God will open the doors. Um, and that, that was that. So when I called for the, when I called when I got the call, I'm sorry, when I got the call for the interview at Regent, um, I remember talking to my dad about it and he was like, well, if you go to Regent, you're never moving back to Texas. Like you're going to love Virginia. You're going to be gone for good. Um, <laughs> he was right about that. 
<laughs> and so, um, so I did indeed move to Virginia. And as soon as I did the interview, like I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is where God has me. And this is what I'm going to be doing next. Mm. Um, and this is while I was being told they only interview so many, and there's only so many that are going to get in from the interview. Mm. Um, and I do know that that's true. So this just seemed to be the path that I, I was taken on almost, almost, um, Un unknowingly <laughs> building my life this way. Yeah. Yeah. And for, for those, for those of you that don't know, um, I think what probably most people apply to maybe eight to 15 different doctoral programs just to, yeah, just because of the yeah. slim chances of getting into the one that you want. So right. for you to apply to only Regent and to get accepted, that's really, that's really neat. Yeah. yeah, like I said, I don't. I mean, I don't think that's anything about me. I just, uh -huh. I think that there is this Everything path that God had me on. Yeah, and I don't think I even really realized how unique that was in the moment. Like, I, I didn't realize how unique it was until later when I was accepted, and our cohort would talk about how many schools they applied to, and I was literally the only one that only applied to one school. Wow. Um, and that was that was really weird. And then I've actually I've been faculty. Um, our staff really at Regent also. And so I've actually sat in the process of interviewing um, mm. candidates and I've really gotten a picture now of actually how slim <laughs> those <laughs> chances were and uh, how odd it was that that's my story. Yeah, that really speaks. Yeah, that speaks volumes. And so <laughs> while going through the program, um, a lot of, you know, so with it, with clinical psychology kind of being an afterthought and you kind of falling into it, uh, developing your identity as a clinical psychologist. A lot of, you know, people are like, am I going to do, am I going to try and specialize in trauma work and, and children and adolescents and adults, um, military population? What am I going to be shooting for? How was that identity development for you throughout the program? Yeah, you know what, I really did have a lot of interest. Um, so they've changed the rules since uh -huh. um, since I was in school, but you used to be able to kind of just like, you could jump into every little program you wanted to, and I did. Like I was in every <laughs> meeting I could go to, I learned about every possible um, different diversity type group that I could be a part of. Like mm -hmm. I just wanted to figure out like, what do I love? I wanna do it all. Um, and I actually really struggled to decide which research team I was really gonna devote myself to fully. But ended up landing on, um, it was called the Hope Approach. They still have it there at the school. But I ended up landing on that one because just the opportunities seemed so unique. So I was going to be able to start observing actual counseling sessions my first year. I was going to be able to start doing therapy my second year, supervising my third year. Or no, I guess that was my fourth year. So supervising my fourth year. It was just really, really exciting to think mm. that I could actually be that involved in working with clients. Mm. Um, so I fell into it that way and started going through the hope um, the hope pro approach or the hope project that they have there at the school and um got all these opportunities to work with couples and i i've joked about that too it's kind of like i so i started i just got into that niche really quickly mm. i still have a lot of other interests actually but i got into that niche so quickly that it just became what i did and i excelled at it because i spent you know basically four full years of school really learning how to do it well and then started doing it um, in my internship and i just i really loved it um, i've done work with kids as well with adolescents lots of testing but but the you know counseling couples always just kind of come back to and i realize a lot of people don't enjoy that work because it's um, a little bit more complex than working with one person uh -huh. but that's actually what i love about it because you actually get more of a full picture of what's going on because mm -hmm. you don't just have one voice now you have two voices and then you can kind of figure out somewhere in between those two voices is what's happening in your home um, and i really enjoy it for that it's just so much more information you're getting yeah can I ask, were you, this is kind of a curiosity question, were you married at the time that you decided to go through with the Hope Clinic? Um, no, but I was married soon after. So I oh. was single when I came to Virginia, I came all the way from Texas, met my husband, oh gosh, that was the first year of school. Mm. Uh, but I knew beforehand, so I remember before I met my husband, People were asking me, oh, so you're going to wait till you graduate to get married, which I don't know why people ask a single person that, but they were asking <laughs> me that. And I was like, guys, this program is five years long. Like, I hope not. <laughs> I was already 29 when mm. I entered the program. Yeah. So I'm like, gosh, I, you know, I hope not. I'm not trying to find a spouse <laughs> five years from now. Yeah. And so I actually ended up meeting my husband my first year in the program. We started dating, got engaged December of my first year in the program. Is that right? 
uh, no, the way the semesters work, it would have been December of my second year in the program and then got married the second or the summer of my second year in the program. Okay. Um, so within the first two years of being in a brand new state, I met and married my husband. <laughs> was he also in the, in like Regent? No, okay. no. Well, he was involved at Regent, but not as a student. So he was doing um, building services there. So he was at Regent, but we actually met in the lobby of the church. Um, mm. So he did work at the school. Um, I say building services. He was doing grounds work, I think, when we met. Um, it's hard to remember now because we've both gone through so many yeah. transitions together. Um, yeah. But he was working there at the school and then he ended up going back to school later. Um, but yeah, we, we had very different views on psychology at the time. Um, I brought him over to my side, though. Oh, good. He believes in it now. <laughs> <laughs> no, the reason I asked was um, I remember thinking uh, I was not married at the time, and I remember considering couples counseling. And there was part of me that had this reservation of if I'm not married, I don't feel that I should be giving advice or counseling to couples. Did you ever have that type of initial reaction or thought or was it did you not experience that how was that i <laughs> i think <laughs> i think i didn't really experience it honestly but yeah. i i grew up in a home where i just i saw a lot of discontent in marriage in mm. in several of the family members and so i always had this belief that it had to be better than what mm. my family had been personally experiencing and uh -huh. so i think that was enough for me to say hey we let's let's work on this thing let's figure it out so i never thought that you had to experience something to be able to give wise counsel mm. um it's you know i've I'm not a drug addict, but I can I can work with an addict, you know, and so yeah. I don't think that we have to experience something to be good at giving counsel. You have a very unique experience if you've actually had the experience of marriage, right? There's something uh -huh. new that you can bring to those counseling sessions that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise. But uh -huh. I don't believe you have to experience everything you can give counsel on um, a lot of that, because really, I, it's not about what I've experienced that mm -hmm. helps the client. Mm -hmm. It's what are they bringing to the table? How well can I listen to them? How well can I meet them where they're at? Um, mm -hmm. And you don't have to have experienced their same situation to be able to give that to someone. Yeah, yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. And I think that, I think that's something that I'm finding out as I go through the program. We there's been a lot of conversation of like, yeah, have I had? Do I have to experience it in order to help someone through it? And and you can't with with the amount of clients that you see and all the varied experiences that you come across. There's no way that you can, ha you know, you're not going to refer everyone out that you haven't had a similar experience with. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And as Christians, I I always see you know Christ understands our experience completely even mm. though i've had a lot of experiences he's never had <laughs> but, <laughs> but he doesn't have to have those experience to be able to come in and meet me where i'm at and mm. be with me um so yeah i think you know we're supposed to do that also when we work with others yeah and so from from the hope clinic to uh graduating what did life look like for you post-graduation yeah, so post-graduation, my husband and I met in Virginia. I'm from Texas. And so immediately after graduating, I mean, it might have been might have been a month left here in Virginia. We did move back to Texas temporarily okay. so he could get to know my family. He went and got his um, first master's degree while we were in Texas. And so, wait, is that right? His first master's was in Virginia, second master's in Texas. Uh I'm going to have to ask him now. <laughs> I don't know why that seems so long ago. It actually wasn't that long ago. So he he went to Texas. He got his master's degree there. Um, and we stayed there for about three years. That okay. helped him finish up his master's, let him get to know my family. But we really just enjoy the Virginia area much mm. more. We have a lot of friends here. We love our church here. We, I mean, he has his family here, too. We just really wanted to be back. So we did come back after he graduated. <laughs> um, and then after we were back for about two years is when I actually opened my own practice. Okay. Okay. So it was like uh, five, roughly five years after graduating? Yeah, that's about right. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And did you open your own practice? Um, so I know eventually you you practice as a sex therapist. Um, did you open your own practice with that in mind or was it still kind of just focused on couples and maybe any like the general population or what was your your aim? 
Yeah, that was that was definitely my aim. So I actually started working on my certification as a sex therapist while I was still in school. That was actually oh. second year of the program as well. Okay. And so I got, you know, it's funny, I got to look at it on my wall now. I can't remember what year I got that. that oh, that was in 2017. So I became certified as a sex therapist in 2017. That was five years after I graduated. So it took a little while to get through the program and get all the hours that I needed for supervision and so forth. Yeah. Um, and then I opened my practice that was, see, it's 21 now, 2019, 18, 17, 16. So I opened my practice in 2016, right before I was certified, but I was already in that process, definitely seeing those types of couples, definitely had my website set up saying, this is what I do, um, very much focused on the intimacy piece, uh, primarily focused on that because of the unique niche that it gave me. So it kind of set me apart from just a marriage counselor even though I do a lot of that. And then uh -huh. it, it turned into like, you can come see me if this is your concern. Um, but I would also have people coming in for marriage related concerns just because it was such a unique niche. I think it helped me kind of in like Google ranking and things uh -huh. like that, where I was just seen more frequently. Okay. And did they offer the, you say you went through the um, certification for sex therapist during school. Did they offer that at region at the time or was that something separate? That's something separate. So I had taken Dr. Yarhouse's class and um, he's not at Regent anymore. He's at Argosy, but he was at Regent when I was there and he had a class um, related to sexuality. I can't remember the name of it exactly, mm. but when we took that class, he let us all know, hey, if you're really interested in this and you want to do it as a niche and you want to get certified, there's a program you can go to in Atlanta. So that's actually through the Institute for Sexual Wholeness. Okay. And so I actually got my certification there, but at Regent, it used to be that you could get your first class through Dr. Yarhouse. I don't know if that's an option anymore at Regent. <laughs> I think for a while, it was like every other year he was going to be able to do it or something mm. like that. Okay. Um, but that's the first of five classes that you would get. And then uh -huh. the rest, I had to travel to Atlanta for the weekend, um, which also makes sense why it took a while, right, to get the yeah. classes done, because um, that's certainly not easy to do ever, really not easy to do when you're a student. So yeah. <laughs> it took a while to get through that certification. Uh -huh. Okay. And so, and so, okay, so you up in your private practice, um, did your business classes help you a lot with that? Or what was that um, like? I actually only had one business class. It was an online class. And um, we basically would watch like a 10 to 15 minute presentation for this class. And then we would um, do some assignments. It was on the counseling side, not the psychology side when huh. I took it. Um, later I came around and taught that, which is kind of funny and totally <laughs> changed the model of the class. But um, I, I would say no, it wasn't extremely extremely helpful that particular business class. Um, I opened a business having really not not much of an idea of how to actually do it. Mm. Um, but I had, I like to prepare and plan as much as I can. So okay. I had my LLC for I think two years before I opened my practice. I had consulted a business attorney already. I had business insurance already. Um, I, I had like all the things that should make me fairly prepared hmm. um, other, <laughs> other than some really good know-how. I didn't actually have much of that. So I opened my business without having without having a lot of understanding, but having um, having far more than someone who doesn't self-study because hmm. I had done a lot of that. I think I took a 12-hour class one day that was offered in the area just about business and how to market. Um, and it was over a weekend, so it was two days of six hours. And so I constantly was doing stuff to try to prepare myself. Nice. Um, my brother's an entrepreneur, and he's been in business for about nine years now. Um, mm. So I've, you know, I've asked him a lot of questions. I ended up being in a life group with someone who has five successful businesses in this area. And I just kind of like attached to him and learned what I could <laughs> from him. And he would give me advice all the time. Um, so I took every bit of information I could from people. But, um, but looking back, I would definitely say I I wish I'd been a little more prepared, um, mm. but I don't know if you're ever fully prepared anyway. So I, you know, it, yeah. <laughs> it worked fine for several <laughs> years. So the, um, have you ever, this is, have you ever thought of doing an in-home private practice? Was that ever a, an, an idea? Um, so I have a friend of mine and we've talked about, we, we called it mobile practice actually. And so we oh. talked about, you know, what you could do is you could get, um, like a, not a trailer home, like an, uh, like an RV fairly uh -huh. cheaply. And then you could actually like, just like make the back look a little bit more like an office. 
And then mm. you can kind of like go to people's homes and they could like, you're basically bringing the office to them. And so we talked about doing something like that. That was more just talk. Neither one of us ever did that. <laughs> yeah. um, although I guess that's a pretty cool tax write-off to have a, an RV. <laughs> so not a bad idea if someone wants to take that and run with it. Um, but I had actually done some in-home counseling while I was at Regent. So okay. one of my jobs while I was at Regent was as an in-home therapist. Oh. Um, I would probably not do that again. Mm. Um, it's for a couple of reasons. Boundary wise, I just, I mean, I'm a sex therapist, so I don't really want to go mm. into people's homes anyways. Yeah. Um, that could be misunderstood and it could get me in situations where people think something's happening that's not happening and it could just, I don't even want to ever go there. Yeah. Um, so I've never wanted to do that. I've never wanted to do where people come into my own home for the same reason. So mm -hmm. I want to have those boundaries set up. Um, but even aside from that, like I want home to be home and work to be work. And I don't want those lines to cross because I want to feel like I am home when I'm home and I want to be able to leave it all behind. Um, yeah. And I think that's really important in the world of therapy because we can carry so much from mm -hmm. what we're doing in our work. And I never want to be in the place where I don't know how to separate those or I feel like I've never left the office. Um, pandemic made that really hard. And <laughs> I found that it was very difficult for me not having those good clear lines of separation. Um, yeah. So I really hope to never be completely in my home like that doing services it's just really not for me not my yeah. style it makes a lot of sense um yeah that's just something i'm personally considering uh yeah. i want to i would like to have a private practice one day and i've heard of some analysts who have like an in-home private practice and so um yeah. it you know it's from a business standpoint, it's really cool, right? Because mm. you can get the tax write off that way. And so it saves on taxes and any way you can do that, I think is awesome and smart and wonderful. Um, it's easy too, if you tend to run late in the mornings, like that makes it a lot <laughs> easier. Yeah, you shouldn't be late to your appointments that way. Um, I have actually thought one way where it would be kind of cool is if you could do it like with a duplex and have one side of the duplex, your office and the other side, your home, that would mm. be kind of cool. Cause then yeah. your, you know, your office would hopefully be able to pay for the the actual home so i think there's a lot of ways you could do it mm. i just i personally i just yeah. i don't want to go there that's just me i think it's a wise business move but for me it's not a good personal move mm -hmm. yeah no your view makes a lot of sense especially like you said with being a sex therapist and stuff right <laughs> right <laughs> there's probably other like if i just did testing or something it'd probably be no big no, no yeah. big deal but uh. <laughs> and so with that um I, I took a look on you you still have your website it's for the it's called fully well um, I took a look on there and it is, it does seem mostly marketed toward Christian couples. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it showed maybe like six kind of common, um, sexual intimacy problems that Christian couples might face. Can you kind yeah. of tell us about that and your, your marketing is, do you mostly see Christians? Is it also, is it just, yeah. So. Yeah. So I did very purposefully market mainly to Christians. Um, mm -hmm. My certification is actually as a Christian sex therapist, although okay. it's not really called that. It's just called a certification of sex therapy, uh -huh. um, but it's very much from a Christian program. So the Institute for Sexual Wholeness, um, the group that came out of that to create this program, it's the American Board of Christian Sex Therapists. And oh. so we are we are Christian sex therapists and yeah. it's different from from sex therapists who don't practice the Christian faith or the Christian uh, religion. Uh -huh. And so. I really wanted to highlight that part because Christians are struggling in many areas and they mm. need to know that there's somewhere safe they can go. Almost every Christian that reaches out to me for help will say just that the faith-based um, view is important to me. Mm. I need someone who will honor my Christian values. Like that's one of the first things they say. And so I know it's a, it's a unique need that Christians have. And so I want to be there to offer that. Um, I also see non-Christians. I've had I've had non-Christians. I've had atheists reach out to me and say, "Hey, we'd like to work with you. I see that you work with Christians. Will you still work with me too?" Nice. Um, which, from a business perspective, that's really cool because that means I've created such a niche that people want me and they're not sure if they can have me, uh -huh. which is really cool. Um, so I, of course, do work with non-Christians. I have no problem with that. Nice. Um, but it helps them to know where my where my view and my perspectives come from. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my non-Christian clients have actually really 
really respected that. And so, in fact, I remember the first time it happened, it kind of shocked me because I knew I was marketing more towards Christians. Hmm. And I had an atheist couple reach out and they said, look, we really, we want to make sure you're not going to be saying anything about Jesus because <laughs> we're not interested in that. But we are very interested in the belief that you have that we could actually still make this after an affair because other couples of other therapists have told us we can't. Wow. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, let's go there and let's talk about it. Um, but I thought to me that was such a, um, a wonderful way to be able to help people and show them that change can happen and that mm -hmm. we're, you know, I'm here for you and I want the best for you and I believe in marriage because um, unfortunately that's not what people sometimes get um, mm -hmm. when they go to someone who maybe doesn't have that worldview. So yeah. it's it's been nice to be able to see both, but I definitely do work um, with more Christians. And then you asked, what are some of the typical problems? Um, you know, Christians are going to have the same problems anyone has. So mm -hmm. our research would show us that Christians have the same um, rates of abuse. They're going to have the same rates of dysfunction. They're going to have the same rates of dissatisfaction, um, which clearly means as Christians, probably we're not doing something right. <laughs> we need to maybe work on that. Um, but the, the bigger picture of that is these concerns aren't unique to Christians. So I write a lot about different desire levels and I write about things like a fair recovery, um, recovering from trauma. But the one thing that Christians have that is sometimes a little unique, at least in our in our Western world, is there can be a lot of shame wrapped up in sex. Mm. And a lot of times non-Christians don't have that message. And so this would be something that's a little bit more unique where I get to help um, Christian couples understand that sex is a good thing and it's a wonderful thing in your marriage and mm. that it is a gift from God. Um, and so I get to take away some of the shame that sits on Christian couples. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, I was going to, thinking specifically about um problems christians might face within that within that realm i there's a wide spectrum but i would say on the most fundamental side um i've i had a friend that once said she said she didn't believe that um you could be raped by your partner within a marriage right and so the, those types of views for women and sex and i was wondering if if those types of views you see those types of views come in a lot yeah you know and and that's yeah that's one that unfortunately is um one in christian circles more mm -hmm. so um which is really sad i actually i did an interview similar to this with someone one time um i think he was a pastor can't remember exactly, but I had mentioned that about how even um, like we were talking about consent and I was saying, mm -hmm. even in marriage, you have to have consent. You can't just sleep with your spouse because they're your spouse. Uh -huh. And uh, the guy was wait, 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 you so are you saying marital rape is possible? <laughs> I'm uh, like, yeah, uh, it is possible. Uh, like it absolutely is. Um, and it's not good. And yeah. so you're right. Unfortunately, that is one of the viewpoints that Christians can have sometimes. And, um, and there's a lot of bad teaching out there. I've seen it myself on various websites of people who call themselves Christian bloggers. And then they talk about the man's right to have sex whenever he wants it. Mm. Um, and that's simply not true. There's absolutely no biblical reasoning behind that. It's just, um, they'll call it head of household, mm. um, but there's no actual biblical authority behind that. And so that absolutely, yes, that's one of the big issues that couples can face. Um, I see it in some traditions more than others. They will go unnamed, but I do see it in yeah. certain fundamentalist traditions more so than um, ones that have a more grace type message that they preach in the um from the state from the church mm -hmm. and so that's one that can be a big problem for people um i find a lot of times pornography can be wrapped up in that as well mm -hmm. um so um, little bits of uh, narcissistic type tendencies can be wrapped up in that as well mm -hmm. um so yeah that can absolutely be an issue just for everyone to know yes indeed you can rape your spouse it is really bad. Don't do it. You should know that your spouse wants to be with you if you're going to be intimate like that. That's really that just seems like such that just seems like such a minimal, a minimal mm -hmm. thing to make sure is happening in your relationship. Like just yeah. that the other wants to do that, too. Like that doesn't seem like a big request. Yeah. Yeah. And can you can you kind of tell us some um, maybe methods that you might use within sex therapy? Like what are, what is a typical, ah, I don't want to use typical. I don't think anything's typical. <laughs> with that. Um, but yeah, maybe some, some different methods or different, like we use in regular therapy, we use like cognitive behavioral therapy or acceptance commitments therapy. Um, do you have any like maybe standard protocols or manualized treatments or what do you, how do you, how do you do sure. sex therapy? Yeah. 
Yeah. So a big part of this is a really great sexual assessment. And so that means taking a sexual history. Um, mm. So in a typical sex therapy process, it's going to start with a really good intake, just your normal everyday intake. You're finding out, um, well, we'll assume they're coming in as a couple for okay. sake of this conversation. Sometimes people do come in, you know, as individuals, but mm. we'll assume they're coming in as a couple. So there's a really good intake done between the couple, finding out where their strengths are, where their uh, points of contention, their pain points are, what are the conflicts that keep coming up for them. So kind of your standard intake that you're mm -hmm. doing, looking at any kind of mental health issues that may be at play. Um, and then the sexual therapy intake is different because you're looking a lot more at um, early sexual experience experiences, education around sex. What was that like for you? Have there been negative experiences? How has your sex life been impacted in your relationship? And so you're looking at all of those pieces that wouldn't be assessed as much in a typical intake. Uh -huh. um, so that becomes kind of the focus. Part of the intake in general, before even doing the sex therapy piece is just trying to find out, uh, is this couple actually appropriate for sex therapy services to begin with? Mm. Um, so if a couple is really high conflict, really what they need is some marriage counseling first, and then we can get to the sex therapy piece. Mm. Um, if there's any of those behaviors like we just talked about where one person thinks, no, you owe this to me, so you must, like, we got to cover that first, right? Uh -huh. Before we can get into any sex therapy, we got to see if the partner is willing to change that viewpoint any and be more open to a collaborative type of experience. Uh -huh. So there's oftentimes couples who come in for sex therapy and they're not actually ready for it. And that's mm -hmm. not actually their big issue. They'll think it is. But as we discuss, we find out that's not really the big issue. Uh -huh. um, and then there are other times where couples are pretty solid, but they come in for a dysfunction of some type. So it may be orgasm difficulties or pain with intercourse or ejaculation problems. Mm -hmm. And when that's the case, Case, we do a much more specific actual protocol for that particular dysfunction. Okay. Um, so yes, there are protocols for each of those dysfunctions and sensate focus um, is really kind of the theme behind all of that. So we're learning um, how to touch one another, how to understand foreplay, um, mm. how to understand arousal and just the pattern um, for men and women, what it typically looks like for the sexual response cycle. Um, lots of education, lots and lots and lots of education <laughs> typically for these couples um, or for the individuals. And so, yeah, there are protocols it, and it is a little bit fine-tuned for each particular dysfunction, but the big uh, like umbrella overarching protocol protocol would be sensate therapy. Okay. Uh, this is this is kind of a, an out there question, but you, you see a lot of it's joked about all the time in, in movies and videos. It's really funny when they joke about it, I think, in a lot of ways, but you see the jokes about. Uh, so for instance, uh, I was watching this YouTube comedian, and he was playing the part of both husband and wife. And then his wife wanted him to put all these throw pillows on the on the bed. And he said, it takes forever. It takes like five minutes and I have all that. And then she's like, I'm not surprised that five minutes to you is a long time. <laughs> and so and so you see those jokes everywhere. But how how often do you see like, is that also a common? Um, so a common maybe marital difficulty with uh, like a man not like premature ejaculation. And is that something that there's like a manualized treatment for? There is a manualized treatment for premature ejaculation. So it's still going to be some of that sensate focus. And then there are specific techniques that can be used for premature ejaculation. Oh. Um, so yeah, there, there's actually, there's these, so sensate focus is the big overarching treatment and within oh. it. So let's say you get through 12 sessions and then you branch off into the piece that that couple needs. So oh. if it's orgasm difficulties, you have a separate little branch you're going. If it's ejaculation problems, a different branch. If it's pain oh. with sex, a different branch. Um, so it, it's, it's the same basic technique, but fine tuned for those specific dysfunctions because okay. the beginning sessions are, are just kind of always the same of what you're doing with um, with couples to help them work on those sexual difficulties. Um, so yeah, very, very much a fine tuned approach, but then there's just this umbrella category that works really well. Um, and of course, you know, like something like CBT, there's a thousand techniques that you can do within CBT. Sensate focus is actually not quite like that. It's a little bit more specific where those techniques are narrowed. Um, mm -hmm. And then the other big piece is just to know that referrals are almost always happening. So um, like 
anything that's an ejaculation concern or an orgasm concern or erection concern, pain concern, always referring to a medical provider at the same time to mm. make sure that that's not the issue. Because um, uh -huh. you really got to fine tune that out. Is it a, is a um, medical difficulty at play here or is it more psychological? Um, and even if it's a medical difficulty, what I've found is typically you still have to do the psychological piece as mm. well, mm -hmm. because there's just a, a big, ugly impact to people when they feel like their sex lives are being negatively impacted. Um, okay. A lot of times they take that into their own identity and what that means for me as a woman or as a man. And mm. so so that psychological piece is still really important, but mm -hmm. if there's a medical difficulty, we got to get that fixed and checked on as well. Yeah. Yeah. The medical difficulty can most definitely lead to psychological difficulty, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you said sense eight, is that like senses like S E N S E eight? Um, it's S E N S A T E. So if you think okay. of the word sensation, it kind of comes oh. from that. So oh, sensate therapy, got learning it. how to enjoy the sensations of one another's touch. Um, oh. They're not supposed to be arousal activities. Hmm. Some couples do find portions of them arousal, but it's really supposed to be about learning what feels good for your body, what your what your spouse enjoys. And then that way you guys know how to approach one another. Um, that's a piece of it, right? There's yeah, also yeah. all the education about how do we even talk to each other about sex? Hmm. Um, how do we approach each other in ways that feel comfortable psychologically? There's all the education about the differences people can have from emotional arousal and physical arousal um, and seeing which one is the problem or both a problem for you. Um, so so that's a really, I guess, a, a slight easy way of saying it, but yeah. sensate focus would be the main techniques that you're looking for if you're trying to work with couples that are in similar situations. Okay. If you have a client, so um, let's see, let's say there is someone and they grew up and their parents were physically abusive and they're in a marriage and they are aversive to any type of physical touch, even like hugs, right? Is that someone that you could, even if it's, even if it's something like hugs with their children or with their husband, and it's not specifically just sex with their partner. Is that someone you could also refer to as someone like a sex therapist? Yeah, absolutely. Now that's going to be probably far more complex, right? Mm. Because we're talking about in a number of areas. Um, mm. When we're talking sex therapy, that's usually very specific to the sexual relationship okay. um, or again, to couples work because a sex therapist has to know how to do couples work because clearly couples are involved <laughs> in sex. Uh -huh. um, and so you're, you're going to need to know some of that work too. But when you're talking something um, that's maybe a, a more like life specific, not just sex specific, mm -hmm. um, it's not that a sex therapist can't help with that. It's just sometimes people think that it's a sex issue when really that sounds more like a trauma issue, right? Okay, so there's yeah. a little bit deeper than that. Uh -huh. um, so it could it could be that they end up in a sex therapist office first, uh -huh. and then the sex therapist starts finding out, wait a minute, you have an aversion to touch mm. for everything in life. And then mm. you have to consider, well, is there maybe some sensory issues there or is mm. there any um kind of autism diagnosis that hasn't been teased out yet or uh -huh. so you have to look at a more complex picture but we're supposed to be able to do that as psychologists right yeah, good yeah. care is trying to look at those complex pictures and then seeing if there's another referral that's needed outside mm. of just sex therapy yeah so it goes back to what you were talking about earlier about sometimes people will wind up in your office and the initial intake yeah okay that makes yeah, a lot of absolutely. sense it's all absolutely. coming together <laughs> good <laughs> and, <laughs> And so we were talking a little bit earlier about um, you, you know, your desire to get into youth ministry at first, and then how you see psychology and clinical psychology as a, a, a service and helping people kind of um, feel more, especially in marriages, and feel more whole in each other, feel more whole in Christ. And then there's, you know, I'm reminded of the verses that say, um, you know, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And so can you tell us a little bit about how you view uh, marriages and how this type of work can help Christian couples uh, get closer to God and maybe understand and know God better? Yeah. Oh, I love talking about this so much. <laughs> um, so I really do believe that um, first, let me say that this what I'm about to say is not to um, minimize singleness in any way. There is uh -huh. a special grace and a beauty to being single and God mm -hmm. meets you in that singleness. Okay, so anyone who's single, please hear my heart there. 
All right. But what I really love about marriage is, is scripture actually says that marriage is to be a reflection of Christ in the church. And so we have a unique understanding of who Christ is in marriage. Again, not a better understanding, a uh -huh. unique understanding. Uh -huh. We get uh -huh. to see a different picture of who Christ is. Um, so if you think just about um, how long have you been married? Uh, it'll be a year in December. Oh, yay, a year. That's <laughs> awesome. Okay, so me and my husband, our first two years were far more difficult than any year since then. Mm. Um, we, I didn't get married until I was 30. He's younger than me. Um, but that's a long time of doing life my own way and then yeah. having to figure out how to do life with somebody else <laughs> that I really, really loved and then got married to. I was like, what? Who are you? <laughs> and so I, I think that that's a normal experience for people. Mm. And so part of what marriage teaches us is what do we do when, when really our sin is pointed out to us um, because every couple can get into this place where you think my way of doing something is better than your way of doing something mm. like the throw pillows right or <laughs> yeah. the toilet paper or the toothpaste like my way is better you need to do it my way that's why dishes are done at night not the next morning like it's <laughs> and so we can all get into that place where we feel like our way is right and mm. there is a real humbling that comes when you get married because if you want to have a good marriage <laughs> you have to be able to lay down your own life and decide what does it mean to actually look to the needs of my spouse first what does it look to serve them first and to love them well and so we're learning a little more about the nature of christ in that way um, and then we really learn about it in sexuality as well so a lot of you know a lot of couples they'll struggle because the husband will want to know well why doesn't my wife initiate why doesn't she pursue me why am i not good enough and then the wife is like, why does he always want sex? Why is that the only way that I can show my love in? Why, why doesn't he just know when I tell him or I want to just cuddle? And so husbands and wife each have to learn, well, what does it look like to walk like Christ in these areas? Mm -hmm. So for the man to be able to say, hey, this actually is a good desire for me to pursue my wife and me pursuing her is very reflective of the Christ who pursued us so mm -hmm. much so that he came to the earth as a baby and gave his own life for us he pursued us and that's a very christ-like picture and mm. when the man can notice that his wife is receiving that love so maybe she's not going to initiate because she doesn't mm. think about that but when you initiate she says hey yeah 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 i think this will be good and then through the act of foreplay and in and enjoying those moments together then she actually does really get into it and says oh this is great i'm so glad that you, you decided to do this so that's that picture again of the bride of christ right mm -hmm. so christ gave his life we weren't thinking that we needed that right but he gave mm -hmm. his life and then as he invites us into relationship we can lean into that relationship and say yeah this is good i can trust you and i can enjoy you and i like that i that i can live my life for you so there's wow. this picture that we're constantly having of one another where we see what is it like to live out that beautiful picture of Christ and the church in our marriage um, mm. and it doesn't just happen in sex it doesn't just happen in the little disagreements it literally happens every single moment that you're together you're getting another picture of what does it look like to join our lives together and then how do we do that also with Christ and join our lives with him that was really cool I've never thought about it in that much detail before and especially in the detail of the sex aspect I've always just yeah. heard it. I've heard it talked about in church and I've, I've thought a little bit about it and, um, but yeah, I've never, never saw so much parallel. So that was really oh. beautiful the way you laid it all out there. Like Thank that. you. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my passions. I'm sure you can tell. <laughs> yeah, I can. That's great. And so, um, in, in our email exchange, you mentioned, you mentioned that you're kind of temporarily stepping away from your private practice of fully well. And um, can you kind of tell us about this transition and, and um, what you're kind of going through now and where you're heading? Yeah, so um, 2021, I was about to say 2020, we're in 21. <laughs> 2021 has been an incredibly difficult year for mm. me. Um, so I've had to learn to kind of focus on my own mental health and my own healing. Um, my dad got sick with COVID in December, um, died mm. in January of this year. And so we had that going on. We've had multiple other family difficulties that um, aren't the ones you talk about in a podcast, yeah. but like death we can talk about, right? Everybody gets that. Yeah. And so we've had a multitude of experiences over the last several months that have just made life 
so difficult. Um, so I had actually, I think November of last year, my husband and I had decided, hey, this is a really good time to leave all part-time work. Let's focus 100% on your business. I think you can do this, right? This is his uh -huh. pep talk to me. You've got this. And um, I'm thinking, yeah, I do. I do. If I focus only on my business, I can really build it. It's going to be beautiful, wonderful. Let's do this. Um, and so I did turn in my resignation at Regent. I quit all of that. And then my dad got sick about a month later. Wow. So I spent the first two months, almost the entire first two months of the year um, from December to February in Texas, not even my own home mm. state. And so I was doing some online sessions as I could, but um, that was a little bit more difficult. Mom got COVID during that time and I was taking care of her. And so mm. all of my family members <laughs> got COVID during that time. I got COVID a little bit later after that. Mm. So it, it was just a really difficult first part of the year. And so I did online sessions as I could, um, and that was just getting really hard to manage and handle. And so mm. I also at the same time have had people reaching out for, to me that aren't in Virginia. And so because of the unique niche that I have, I have people from several different states. I've worked with people in Spain. I worked with someone who was deployed in China for a while. Like I've worked with a number of people because my niche is so unique. They find me online. Uh -huh. and, so, and that's why I was like, yeah, we can totally run a practice. This would be great. <laughs> and so I thought that was going to work with dad getting sick and just numerous things going on months after that. I just, I couldn't handle both. And so it took me about three months of thinking maybe I should step away for a minute before I decided to actually do it. So that just happened actually, um, that must've been in August that I did that. Okay. So really recent. Um, but during that whole process, I was um, renting office space from a friend of mine, and I've now decided to join her team. So I'm at Lighthouse Counseling doing all of my counseling work, and I'm still doing some stuff at Fully Well. So I have um, a couple of coaching clients through Fully Well, and I have, um, I think, four different programs now three different, yeah, four different programs that people can purchase where they buy the course, they can watch the course. Some of it comes with coaching from me as well. And so mm -hmm. they're getting that. So what I've done is I've actually completely changed my business model where before I was doing a counseling and coaching and education practice, uh -huh. my business model now is completely only consultation and education and electro electronic courses, programs, things like that. That's all I'm going to do through my business, but I'm not marketing it right now. So mm. when I say I stepped away, um, that's what I mean. Like I'm not marketing right now and I'm uh -huh. not necessarily trying to get clients right now from there because it was just too much um, mm. with everything that had happened this year. And then all of my psychological work, all of my counseling is actually being done through Lighthouse Counseling. So mm. I am both a business owner and a contractor. Um, the contractor is really the main job right now. And then hoping that in 2022, I'm going to be able to really hit the business again and do more with it and grow it. Um, and I'm trying to optimize my website now. And then I'm going to be probably making a little bit of a shift um, next year and focusing more on full holistic health instead of just focusing on relationships okay. um, and teaching more about brain health and how we can optimize our mental health um, and looking at a variety of areas instead of just relationships. So mm -hmm. that information will still always be available, but I'm going to shift now to a little bit more whole person instead of just relationships and uh, play with that for a while, see if it's something I really enjoy. And, and so I'll probably have a little bit of both going on until I decide which way I'm a hundred percent going to focus. Yeah. Yeah, well, first, uh, yeah, so sorry to hear about your dad and your your everything going on. Um, it sounds very much like another falling into type of situation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, classic Doctor McLeese, right? Um, so, but that's that's a, that's um, in in some in some sense, it's all very kind of exciting because everything's being kind of changed, and you're kind of looking taking a step back and looking at where you're trying to go from here. Um, so good. I hope, I hope all of that works out really well for you and I hope 2022 will be a great year and yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I, I am excited about the change. Like I think it's going to mm. be a lot of fun and I really believe that couples are going to do much better once I can start teaching about complete health instead mm. of just the relationship. Um, because while the relationship is important and that is a specific niche that I do enjoy, uh -huh. it's also, I'm finding oftentimes not enough because there's all these other pieces that sex therapy doesn't touch. Mm. And so what I'm trying to do is bring in more of a whole health, like let's get you completely well, because mm. then you're 
relationship gets a lot easier to actually manage. And so that's really my hope. Yeah. With that, what does that look like on just monitoring like diet, sleep, um, all of the, yeah. Yeah. So it's your four major areas looking at getting them healthy physically, emotionally, spiritually, and socially. So socially is where that relationship piece comes in that I've done a whole lot of, uh, Uh but we'll be bringing in, well, actually I do a lot of the spiritual care (laughs) as well, but looking to really bring in those other sides and make sure we're emphasizing emotional and physical well-being also, because Mm. that of course plays a role in how they're going to function in relationships. Yeah. Very important. Good. Good. Um, so yeah, looking, looking, let's say, looking back to when you when you first started, uh, maybe grad school, looking back to that until now, is there anything that you wish you would have known? Um, maybe aside from right, like aside from the things that you were inevitably going to find out after starting a private practice or something. <laughs> but is there anything you wish you would have known or done differently uh, with the knowledge that you have now? Yeah, you know, I actually always try to tell students, um, so if there are people working on becoming a psychologist right now, don't take out all the loans that you can have. (laughs) It's Mm. just not wise. (laughs) So I wish that my debt load was lower, that I hadn't taken so much um, out in school loans. Uh, Mm. More than that, that I was trying to run my business, that I didn't keep hopping on every um, every sellable tactic <laughs> that I purchased <laughs> thinking that it was going to be what helped me really make it. Hmm. Um, so I wished I'd had a little bit more wisdom in that area and that I'd known how important it would have been to get some financial understanding hmm. prior to running a business. I think that that would have just set me up so much better. Um, so I wish that I would have done that differently. Um, I, I do believe it's all redeemable and that that's okay. Like it's still fixable, but uh, it would be nice if that wasn't, if that wasn't one of the burdens that I bear with trying to build the business back up. Yeah. Yeah. The, the loan advice is really good. I, I'm, I know I, my, myself and my wife, she's in the same program and we're both kind of guilty of that. And we're looking to try and rectify the situation, but um, yeah. yeah, it's a hard one. It's a good advice. It is. God bless you guys. Like, <laughs> I, I hope that that is something that um, can be fixed without too much headache. Yeah, thank you. No. Uh, and then so you kind of mentioned, you know, you're hoping for 2022 and this the whole new kind of vision that you have. Um, and I know that in no span of your life have you been able to predict the next year, <laughs> maybe even five. <laughs> but in the next 10 years, do you see kind of a do you have kind of a maybe a vision for what you would like to or you would like to be? Yeah, you know, um, that that is really hard to predict, especially because like my husband's in school right now, too. And we've um, done I wouldn't call it vision casting because we're not like sitting down with paper and writing out Uh (laughs) everything, which is what I picture when I think vision casting. Uh, But we we've talked a lot about some of the things that we want to do better. Hmm. And certainly we want to be better about traveling and making sure that we're really, you know, prioritizing time together. Um, He's incredibly busy. He just started going back to school again. And he's also a teacher and he's a football coach. He's really, really busy. And so um, this is a season and we know that and that's fine. But I would say 10 years from now, like we are both completely done with school 10 years from now. And my hope is that um, that time is more about us just enjoying life together and playing some and vacationing some and marking off the things, you know, from our bucket list, things that we'd like to do. Um, So I, you know, I don't, I don't really have a career hope of what I hope it to look like in 10 years. Um, But I do have a life hope. And that's, Mm. you know, just more fun, more time with friends, putting my focus on places that really matter, um, less worry, less anxiety, all those things that promote good health like that. (laughs) That's what I want. The holistic mindset. Yes, yes. And I really do have that. So if I, you know, if I can practice that more and share it with others, I think that would be great to 10 years from now, really be able to be stepping into that quite well. Yeah. Uh, my last question. Okay. I was just, uh, I do a lot of reading. I love, uh, I find a lot of my mentorship through books. And I was wondering if you have any uh, psychologists that you maybe look up to or idealize or maybe favorite authors in this. Yeah. Gosh, that's so hard because if you, so you probably have a picture of it just from the way I've already talked, but um, I, I change what I love 
pretty frequently. Uh -huh. And so, <laughs> so that answer could change at any time. Hmm. Um, right now, I just started reading um, The Body Keeps the Score, which I've wanted to read for a long time. And so I'm excited about that book. I'm only about hmm. a chapter and a half in. Uh -huh. um, so I can't speak to it much yet. But that's very trauma um, focused and looking at how do we overcome trauma? How do our bodies hold on to trauma? Um, hmm. I'm really excited about that. I read a lot of books on um, I don't have favorite authors, by the way, although I really do like Tim Jennings, who's a psychiatrist and um, does uh, really speaks in such a way. It's just really easy to understand his picture of what is grace. Hmm. And he kind of uses these um, psychology slash psychiatry type illustrations. Uh -huh. So I really loved his work a lot because it just everything it's so easy to understand because that's what I do. Yeah. Um, so he does really good work also teaches um, clients. Well, I teach clients through his books, how to take some of that on. Um, he's got a, a book called, could it be this simple? Um, where he's talking about healing from different psychological disorders by, um, by changing your view of who God is. Um, so oh. not the, not the old have more faith and it'll go away kind of question, uh -huh. uh, but more of the, this is who God is. This is what God has for you. How do you start leaning into healing in that way and letting mm. God comfort you? Mm. Um, so I like that, but I read a lot of books on holistic health. So any, um, if you ever saw my reading shelf, you would see there might be a theology book that I'm reading right now. There's probably going to be some kind of book about mental health um, or health in the body and kind of natural holistic ways that we can enhance our health as best as possible. Um, and then probably something related to client care. So right now, <laughs> The Body Keeps the Score is my client care book. Hmm. Um, I am also reading, I'm trying to think of what the other two are. Clearly, I'm not reading them too well right now <laughs> since I'm not remembering. Um, I'm reading Dr. Amen's book, The End of Mental Illness. Um, right now. And then I'm trying to think, I just finished up one of um, a theology book and um, I won't sit here and try to remember because I'd have to actually look in my stuff. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm kind of eclectic in the things that I enjoy and it, it changes um, from time to time. Okay, good. Thank you. Yeah, sure thing. Well, Dr. McLeese, this has been very informative and um, I think beneficial for, I know for myself, hopefully for a lot of other people. So I just want to thank you again for joining us today. Uh, thanks, Daniel. It's been a pleasure.